To access everything Autish for all your Autish needs, please access autish.card.co, card spelled as C-A-R-R-D. This provides my blog, podcast, YouTube and social media. Hello and welcome to the Autish Podcast. Today is the last episode of the season and what better way to do this is to talk to someone who also creates a podcast based on autistic people, autistic folk, basically the autistic community. We'll be talking to this guest soon about their experiences, what they do and also a few other things, mostly about the community and even just talking about their lives in general. Expect this to be a longer episode, so sit back, relax, maybe have a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, whatever you drink, water, whatever. Keep hydrated, by the way, and enjoy this episode. And on that note, here's our special guest. Hi everyone, my name is Armand Olia. I am a autistic journalist. You may know me from one of two projects. Could be either the For the Community YouTube series or more likely the Oddcast podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcast, more specifically, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. I've interviewed the likes of people such as the Black Autistic King, Tim Boykin, Kat Burford, Temple Grandin, and um, a few other guests who are pretty big, but I'm not going to spoil anything here. That's awesome. <laughs> Great to have like many personalities eh, in the community. It's just, it's just lovely to see. And that's one of the things that I've noticed when I looked at your projects. It's just, there's just a big emphasis on community and so many people get to join in and also the inclusion and the acceptance of allies as well, which I also love because we're all one big team at the end of the day. Absolutely. I think, sadly, though, there's some people in advocacy, I'm not saying here, I'm just saying in general, who don't really see it that way. They see autism as sort of the 67% that are advocating, unfortunately, and I'm not going to be praising a certain group, but a certain group that we really don't like, that sort of is known as the pity party does raise that voice. I hate to say it a little bit better than we do, but we need to be more aware and more inclusive. And I'm aware this is a very controversial thing to say, but we need to focus more on the nonverbal creators, the ones who also are paired with intellectual disabilities, because autism is not just the 67% like you, like me, like so many others. It's a wide spectrum. It's literally in the name, autism spectrum disorder. You know, we need to focus on the spectrum itself. And I know we're starting out of the gate pretty hot and heavy, but that's what I love to do. No, I totally agree with that. And I try my best to mention various types of autistic people, no matter what, whether it's on my social media or in my podcasts and stuff. And because, as you say, nonverbal people and intellectual disability folk need a space. So I try my best to just be all ra- an all-rounded community from my advocacy slash blogging slash my experiences. and. And as you say, sometimes the pity party people or those who are more extremists uh, do shout the loudest. And I've witnessed that in many communities because I'm in multiple communities, whether it's mm-hmm. autism, LGBT, maybe some video game communities or whatever. <laughs> it depends, fandoms and that. So they all have something in common with the good and the bad. But 
uh, again, I do think what you do, um, and especially I've seen some of your videos and podcast episodes, <laughs> I, I, I love the structure of them. Um, they're just so chill to listen to. I was just in a, a coffee shop, just drinking my coffee and writing notes and that about doing my research and being like, this is just chill. And I was just walking around town, just listening to the Tim Boykin episode. It was just, it was just so much fun. And the beautiful thing too, when doing those types of episodes are just, you know you're going to be in for a great thing. So here's something that most people don't know. It's the podcast mostly is a one-person operation. Social media, I do have a partner. Um, her name is Sophia Peterson. Absolutely amazing person. We've been close friends since even before I did the show. Almost actually, let's see, it's 2022 now. So um, we're coming up now on eight years that we have been very close. And I do all the recruiting myself. I do pretty much everything on that aspect myself, but I always think about, is the person going to provide something that we haven't heard before or we haven't talked about before? And even if they have, what can I talk about with them that they haven't gone into that is going to contribute to the conversation? Keep in mind, it's for the community. It's not me. I, I may have my name on the front. My name might be on the door. I'm just the, I'm just the conduit. I want people to come in. I want people to speak their truths. I want people to tell their story. That's my responsibility at the end of the day. It's not to lift myself up. It's to lift everyone up around me. And if in the end I get lifted up as a consequence, okay, great. But that's not the main objective. It's just to make sure that everyone else gets higher. I kind of do a similar thing with my podcast. It's, it's like, yeah, I'm in it, I'm presenting it, but the guest stories, the interesting part, that's the main thing. And it's a similar thing for the Autistic Delicatessen, my other project, podcast slash video series with Larnell Cross. We, we're both doing this a, a similar kind of thing. We want to hear people's different experiences with foods, and whatever it is is whatever it is in the food industry, and even if it's foodies or humanitarians, it's just we have so many kinds of people telling their stories, and it's related to food in some way. So yeah, could you tell us your uh, autism story? Yes. So I am an international man. I'm pretty sure if you look through any of my social media, you'll see I have connections overseas. But my original connection comes from a town in the United States. I'm not sure most people have heard of internationally. It's called Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's known colloquially as the Steel City. Shout out Pittsburgh. Shout Erico 412. Um, but my diagnosis came, I was about three years old. Actually, the exact day was the day I launched FTC. I did that on purpose on the 20th anniversary. So May 19th of 2001 was when I got my diagnosis. And that came as a massive fight. My mother literally had to fight, to, not, not physically fight, but to push the doctors to get them to that point. My, my father overreact, saying, oh, you're overreacting. He doesn't have this, so, so on and so forth. And the doctor's like, oh, like maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But my mother just knew. She just, she always knew and she was always fighting for me. She's always been sort of my main advocate. And once I got that diagnosis, um, obviously I went through all forms of therapy. I mean, I, I've said this before, when I started out, I couldn't hold anything in my hand. I, could, I couldn't hold like a crayon in my hand. I couldn't answer a yes or no question. I couldn't walk a flight of stairs. It's basically basic things that a neurotypical three-year-old could do. Most of my neighbors were doing. I could not do. 
So I had to go through a lot of therapy. I had to go through a lot of things to get to that point. And I did not know about that diagnosis personally until I was 13 years old. I mean, I, I do have memories from therapy, but I never really connected the dots. I never realized, oh, wait, that's it. That's what it is. But I knew from the time I was 10 to the time I was 13 that I was just, there was something different about me. And I, I just couldn't pinpoint it. And that sort of came when I left Pittsburgh when I was nine and I moved to Hong Kong. And, you know, when you move away from a group of friends who've gotten to know you for so long and you're dropped as this new kid, as this American with no experience in an international world, even then Americans outside America aren't necessarily the most popular people in the world, let's be honest, um, especially then. This is towards the end of the second Bush term or going into Obama. This is before Obama sort of lifted it back up. Uh, you know, they just saw him. He's like, oh my God, who is this guy? And he's just really weird. So we're going to pick on him. We're going to bully him. I would, there were days I would just go home crying and I just said to myself, and again, I know it's a wrong thing to say, but oh my God, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong. With me. There's something wrong. With me. And it was just repeated over and over in my head. So I decided to make it a mission to figure out what was quote unquote wrong with me. So I listed a lot of things. Like I, I wasn't necessarily like sometimes I like to be by myself. Sometimes I would go on and on about certain things. I didn't realize what exactly it was, but I just, there was just this whole list of symptoms that if you put it together, autism is clearly written on the top, but I just did not know. And plus my experiences with autism was sort of like, sort of the autism speaks version of autism. You know, it's, it's, that's, the, that's the image I was exposed to. That's the image I think most of us were exposed to probably around 2010, 2011. This, keep in mind, this is before the film Temple Grandin came out. When I was 13, on my 13th birthday, that's what my mother told me. And the reason why she had done that was she just didn't want me to use it as a crutch or an excuse, which is justifiable. I understand that. And I've owned it the last 10 years, worked through it got to learn a lot more about it and looked at the information and realized, oh my God, there's so much bad information on here because that that's not me. That, that's just not me. And then as I got older, I realized, oh wait, that's not a lot of people either. That's only a certain percentage of the group. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to speak out. I, I need to say something here and I need to speak out against this. And I've been speaking out um, for proper information. And I've been volunteering anyway, since I was about maybe 16, 17 years old. I never thought, though, that I would ever do anything media-wise about autism. But let's just say from the kid at three years old, who's now 24, um, right now studying at Berkeley um, here in California, shout out to the Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism for allowing me also to have the safe space and to have the resources available. They keep promoting the show as well um, to give me sort of the freedom and the, and the industry needed to get this show to where it is now. I would not be there. I would not be here without them, but it took a lot of development and I'm sort of glad that I went through it. And it's, it's just awesome to hear your, your journey as well. I just, I just love hearing everyone's journeys with the, their autistic journey, even just their life journey. So, because <laughs> I'm one of the people who are not early diagnosed, but late diagnosed. <laughs> but I've always been told um, you may have something, but it was never officially said. So, 
and I, I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. I mean, Kat Burford and I really were just on Outcast maybe two weeks ago. And the episode itself, Kat basically said she was diagnosed early, but wasn't told until later. And she and I, and I, I'm going to speak for myself in this case, I feel like I can sort of sympathize and empathize both with the ones who are diagnosed early and those who found out later in their lives, because I've sort of gone through both journeys. You know, I had to go the early diagnosis and the intervention that on the early ones I can speak to, but I can also speak to the later ones because I personally wasn't made aware of it until I was 13. And then that's when I started making all the self-actualizations. I was sort of a second intervention in a way that took place because I was not necessarily the most quote unquote non-awkward teenager in the, in, in the world. So I had to go through a lot of things, but I came out a lot stronger. Could you talk more on all about the art community project, the YouTube, the podcast, the whole shebang, really? So I've been doing podcasts for quite a long time. I'd always been interested in the medium I mean, podcasts really didn't really become a thing until like 2005, so I was seven. So when I was 10 or 11, I knew what podcasts were. They were, I mean, it was sort of at a time where everyone looked down on them. Like, I remember there's a joke from the newsroom that um, Jane Fonda is going to fire Jeff Daniels, and she basically says, tell him he's one bad headline away from heading, headlining his own podcast. And I'm sort of like, uh, it's not as bad as you think. Like, he would actually make a killing in that. But I, I knew that podcasts had the potential to go strong. And I even said that in my undergrad said, Hey, like if we transitioned from the newspaper into podcasting, we'd be doing great. And they just kept saying, no, 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 no. So I figured the best way to prove them wrong was do my own podcast. And so autism became sort of a, a tiny theme I would weave in, but it never became the full thing. In fact, I'd actually vowed that I would never do anything on autism in media. Ever. Wow. What changed? <laughs> I did actually. Um, the reason why I decided I wasn't going to do it was number one, I wanted to be viewed sort of as this quote unquote serious journalist and serious journalists, like I, I, apart from maybe Eric Garcia, Sarah Luderman, Kat, Katrina Janko. But the point is they, they talk about autism a lot, but they have other specialities outside of that. I mean, Eric and Katrina are both political journalists and all three of them cover dis disability rights, but that's not their primary thing. And I didn't want to make it my primary thing. I also felt emotionally, I wasn't at that point where I was ready and it was going to take a lot of time. And I said, listen, if the time's right, and I've always said, never say never. This is before Bieber, by the way, said it. I've always said, never say never. If it gets that point, then I'm going to do it. And then music came along. That to me was sort of the, I'm like, are you serious? With all the progress that we've made, this is coming out and this is now getting nominated for two Golden Globes. I'm like, okay, if this does any further and even get good reviews on this, I'm going to share my story. I'm going to really go deeper into that. And then it got nominated and I said to myself, okay, it's time. I need to do this. And so I just started, you know, doing the same thing I'd done for the last four years prior to that point. That was 2021. This was last year. And I'd already done two podcasts before it. And I said to myself, okay, I'm not going to do a third one. I originally started saying, I'm not going to do a third podcast because I didn't want to be known as the podcast guy. So I decided to challenge myself 
and do a YouTube series. Because I thought, you know, video in this case, it's sort of gonna be more commentary based and with some community thing peppered in, but originally it wasn't called for the community, it was called for the culture. There was a massive controversy as a result of that. And I acknowledge that I screwed up on that one because for the, for the culture is sort of an African-American community thing and it's like towards the civil rights movement. And I will be honest, I intentionally picked that name for that reason, because I've always believed number one, autism is a culture. And number two, we needed that sort of civil rights style push. And I thought, what a better way to do it than to tie it in. But had, had I been African-American, I think it would have fit in a lot better. Since I wasn't, I got this massive backlash and sort of like, okay, point taken. I'm not going to call it for the culture anymore. We're going to come up with something. So I literally came up with a contest and said, hey, listen, we're going to retire for the culture name, but we're going to find a, a, a replacement for the C. Everyone put your suggestions in. And when I read through the suggestions, the one that kept popping up the most and the one that I liked the best because it really just fits in with everything was community. So it became in the end for the community and there it has stayed and there I hope it will remain. In terms of doing the series, I knew what the format was going to be. I knew it was going to be commentary based and I knew I wanted to pepper in. Um, so, so like an opinion piece, I wanted to do my own commentary, but then also have the opinions of those on the same subject and across all sort of gaps, whether it be racial or gender or orientation, everything, because it, it autism presents differently in everybody. So I, I knew I wanted to do that. So I ended up doing it. I did about two or three episodes. They did okay. They weren't like groundbreaking, earth shattering stuff, but at least got some level of traction where I got comments and say, oh, I, I, I like your I like your commentary. I like what, what you have to say. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting it to do like, and I'm saying this at the time, like, not saying like in terms of how they are now. I wasn't expecting to pull like Paige Hennecom numbers or, or Tim Boykin numbers or anything like that. All I knew is that I wanted to do something like that. And it turned out to do pretty well but not like phenomenally well. And so I decided, you know what? It's doing okay. Let's consider expanding it. So then I put out this post during the summer and I said, hey, listen, would you like me to see to do for the community as a podcast? And it was an 85 to 15 vote in favor. And I'm like, okay, this is gonna be interesting. Because if they thought I was strong on video, they have another thing coming. So then I realized, okay, how can I differentiate this that it's not, oh, it's the same show just on an audio format. So I thought about it and I realized the main thing that sort of attracted everybody was the community aspect. They could listen to my voice as long as they wanted, but the thing that everyone enjoyed the most was having everyone else pop up. And I know that I love doing interviews. So I'm saying to myself, okay, it's an interview show. We bring in people across all things. And I noticed too, most podcasts had not really, they focused really on the pop cultural aspect only. They hadn't focused on other things like medical or political or because there's so many aspects to it. So I decided, you know what? Let's expand it. Let's focus on all the aspects at once. Let's bring on interesting guests. Let's do that. And so I sent out all these emails, including the Temple Granite, who, by the way, it never in a million years did I ever think she would respond, one, two, say she actually liked my work, 
or three actually want to do the show. That was probably the biggest get I've ever gotten in my career is one of the biggest, probably the single biggest honor at this point of my career is to sit down and interview Temple Grandin, who is a personal hero of mine. Like I've, I've watched her film when I was 13. My science teacher recommended it. I, I talked about it on the Temple Grandin episode, but I always looked up to her. I always admired her and to actually sit down and do it. I still think it's one of my, one of my best episodes, probably not the best and one of the best. And I mean, it was just, it was such an amazing moment for me. And I got a little emotional in the booth. I tried to, as I had to follow away, it's like, Armand, like, don't get emotional on the microphone. You need to focus, you need to concentrate. And that, and that's exactly what I did. And I mean, it, it, like I said, long journey, but it was about emotional sort of maturity. Once I felt I had that, once I felt like the time was right, that's when I did it. And I will keep going until I feel like I have nothing more to say, which I hope will not be for a while. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> uh, it's just uh, for all for all I know for, for all I know it could end tomorrow. You know, for all I know, probably not, but it could. Yeah, it's one of those things you just don't know. You just go until you can't no more. <laughs> Def- and, oh. and even and even then, if I'm on like on life support, I plan to have a ventilator and a microphone in front of me. <laughs> this is the final episode. <laughs> I'm all yeah, good. I, I I will I will do it while on life support if I have to. <laughs> that's dedication right there. But that's awesome how you managed to get Temple Grandin in your show. I mean, that's one of those things you're just like, whoa. <laughs> I've definitely had a few whoa moments in some of my guests in my podcast, and. I've had a few in Delicatessen, like I got Ben from Sorted and he's quite a big YouTuber and I got Martina who was uh, from um, Eat Your Kimchi but does her own project in Koji. And I'm just like, these are big people and they want to talk to us or to me. Whoa! <laughs> you just, it's, it's always good to keep humble because when you get these things coming up, you're just like, wow, and it just makes your day. <laughs> I mean, the, the Temple created episode, I think, definitely legitimized the podcast it really sort of gave the show the traction that it needed because i mean we had amazing guests before temple and i'm not i'm not gonna lower all of them because all of them are absolutely outstanding and contribute just as much as temple has uh, if not if not more like liana de souza um rebecca burgess fx burgess shout out um to the non-binary community because y'all are awesome um yeah uh, <laughs> uh lindsey roe parker i mean uh eric garcia obviously eric garcia um all of them are fantastic contributors but temple grandin is an internationally recognized name and is basically synonymous with autism so the second i did that even my friends were like oh yeah good for you when they saw temple Grandin, i'm like oh my god you got temple grandin like, how, how did you do that? Like that basically was sort of the jumping off point. And then once I got Temple, the floodgates opened and suddenly everybody wanted to be on there. Well, it became a lot less difficult to ask because one day I saw Temple was on, it's like, oh, okay, I'll do it. And so through after that, I got Tim, I got Kat Burford, I got, um, I mean, I, I've already announced this. I got uh, Ashley Daniels, who's just a fantastic athlete. I got, um, I mean, like there, there are people now who really want to be on the show and, and who've heard of the show. I mean, 
there's some obviously who said no, but I at least got some serious emails sent back. I mean, I invited, for example, um, Chloe Hayden on the show. I invited Greta Thunberg on the show. I can send an email to Elon Musk. Haven't heard back from him. Hopefully I'll hear back from him at some point, but I've asked all of them. And I, I mean, it's so amazing to hear from these game shattering people. And I know Elon Musk is very controversial, but he's still game shattering. You know, that they are interested. They just can't do it. And so it's fine. You know, hopefully we'll get them in the future. Um, if not, then, uh, but I would love to, but it's just, it, it's absolutely amazing how one interview or two episodes, I should be more specific can just change the course of the show. And I've now gotten so many high profile members of the community on the program. And now it's a program I know for a fact that people genuinely look forward to listening to. And that just fills my heart with such joy, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's, it, just, it just shows that if, if you get someone that's considered an icon, it just shows more interest. But at the same time, every guest is so much fun to have. And I've had that experience myself. It's just, it doesn't matter if they're an average Joe or um, some, a small personality or someone considered internet celebrity. It doesn't matter. It just, I like talking to the people and they're just so much fun to listen to. I mean, I used to have a lot of old friends that used to tell me their stories and I was always interested in just listening to them and I still remember them to this day on and off. <laughs> what other projects do you do at the moment unrelated to your autistic projects? Well, I do a lot of freelance stuff, but in particular, I'm trying to work on a podcast regarding um, or even any type of television series or any type of series at all um, that's regarding uh, sports. I'm a huge sports junkie. When, when you grow up in Pittsburgh, obviously sports play a massive part. I mean, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, no. <laughs> American football runs deep. I mean, there's a joke that there's a Steelers bar in every city in the world. You know, like in Ireland, for example, I mean, Dan Rooney, who used to be the owner of the Steelers before he passed away, was actually Obama's ambassador to Ireland. I'm not even kidding. You know, it's just, it's such a fantastic and such a storied franchise that you sort of fall in love with sports and Pittsburgh sports are very much legendary. Like you hear stories about it all the time. So as a result, my love of sports really digs deep. And, you know, through my family, I've grown up because we're a Persian family. So soccer is a massive thing or football for anyone outside the United States. And then um, tennis. Tennis is a sport that I started playing when I was five because it's just sort of to improve my motor coordination. I still play it and I watch it. I love it. I respect it. You know, I respect the game. I respect a lot of the players. And, you know, sport has always been something that I do. I mean, I was, if you look at my Instagram, I was recently at Indian Wells, which is this, it's not a famous tournament. It's not like the French Open or Wimbledon, but it's one of the major tournaments that happens shortly after the U.S. Open. And so it's sort of the fallout from, from that. But I got to go to Indian Wells, which is a little near Los Angeles, and got to get photographs from that. And I, I, it runs deep, let's just say. But I want, I'm trying to work on things for sports. I've got, um, I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say about this. I've got uh, two film projects working at the moment. Um, with a few autistic collaborators and disabled collaborators. I'm not going to go too much into detail. I have mentioned a little bit on the podcast, um, but it's really interesting. I'm excited. Um, for the second one, I can say 
Cat Burford is going to be writing a lot of the script. Um, I'm going to be helping somewhat, but most of my focus will be on promotion. I'll do a little voice acting because um, before I was a journalist, before I was a podcaster, I was a voice actor. So I was able to, I, I'd sort of love to stretch that those wings again. And I've, I've always loved being in the booth, loved being anywhere in a, um, anywhere near audio. I've always loved that. So uh, yeah, I, I have, I'm, I'm really excited, but primarily right now, my main focus is to get work in the media. I mean, I would love to be sort of in that same professional echelon as Eric Garcia, as Sarah Ludeman, or even let's talk about not as a journalist for a second, Christian Amanpour, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr., Anderson Cooper. I mean, I would love to be sort of in that same sort of peer class as those guys, but to get there, I've got to first get a job. And being autistic and being an autistic journalist, especially in a field that there aren't many of them, is very difficult, especially since there are still so many barriers, not just for journalism, but just for other jobs outside the tech industry. I would love to be able to break through them. And that's why I'm doing things like Oddcast. That's why I'm trying to put my name on as many projects as I can at the moment, because I want to sort of not just raise my value. I want to show people, hey, you want to get disability representation, but you also want someone who you know can deliver. Give, give something to me. I want to show you. I want to give you everything that I got and show you that autistic journalists can go and we can do everything that you guys can and better. Like there's a very famous phrase about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. I mean, if you don't know who they are, very famous um, actors from the 20s and 30s. They were a lot of dancers and Ginger was always Fred's partner. And they always said about Ginger that because Fred Astaire always got the most attention of the two, but Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did, but backwards and in heels. And that's exactly what I feel like I'm trying to do is to do whatever, whatever a neurotypical journalist can do, but backwards and in heels. And maybe even with an arm tied behind their back. You know, I, 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 I'd say to say I'm one of the few autistic, I'm one of the few journalists in general who literally had to fight for his voice in the literal sense, um, you know, obviously because of speech delay, but it's really adds sort of to the dimension of, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do everything I can to get the story, to tell, to tell people the stories that they haven't heard before, to tell people about the communities that they haven't heard before. And I think that's super, super important. But unfortunately, not many people are willing to do that, even if, even if, and I'm going to point, I'm going to call out all my fellow members of the media, even if there's a massive news story that does it. And right now, there is a massive one that got overshadowed by something that happened literally at the same event on the same day. If anyone is listening to this and they know that this is taped a couple of days after the Oscars, they know exactly what I'm talking about. They can fill in the blanks. It's definitely inspiring and definitely I can totally relate like doing so many projects kind of thing and also the whole love of audio and also voice acting. I used to, I did voice acting in my teens. Um, it was just amateur stuff, but I loved it so much. But then I moved on to, um, I was I did photography for a while and then I do more videography now, but I put it more in my autist projects and stuff. And I make music as my hobby. I just, it, it keeps me sane. It gives me something to do. And I just, I just love media <laughs> as well. So do I. And I'll tell you what, to, to bounce off of what you said in terms of music, I, I'm pretty sure if anyone listens to Oddcast or, or the community, they'll notice something. 
that the music more often than not is just remix classical music. And that is done on purpose because um, I'm not sure if only you've gone through musical therapy. I've not, no, but I have heard about it and seen it in pop, in pop culture. I am very lucky. I'm one of those who actually did in, in a certain way. Obviously, when you're a kid, you get a lot of Mozart, a lot of Beethoven, a lot of all that. I would literally go to sleep listening to Mozart or Beethoven or any type of music or book, you know, to sort of strengthen my, my brain and to condition my brain because the brain is just as valuable as any other muscle. In fact, it's the most valuable of them all because without the brain, you can't control your muscles. Literally, you cannot control your muscles without your brain because it sends all the impulses throughout the nervous system. Like if I want to move my arm right now, it's my brain right now sending an impulse and it literally just sent an impulse right now trying to tell my arm to point to my head. But, but the point is, I intentionally picked all that music because it's not only comforting, it's something I know a lot of people on the spectrum would be familiar with, but also, if you know your musical history, you know Mozart was pretty much autistic, so I figured if we're going to put music in there, we're going to, we have to do a modern day remix of the greatest autistic composer, composer who ever lived, so that was just sort of my little contribution there, but music has also played such a massive role, and Unfortunately, it doesn't get talked about as much. It should, because music does have the power to change lives, and it definitely changed mine. Definitely. And I, funny enough, I interviewed someone who has a, a group slash charity uh, called Autism and Music in the, to do that exact thing, like let music help autistic people, whether it's coordination or all that. And I advocate for that for that because... I'm also another autistic person. Uh, music has helped th- them. Um, music has just helped me go through bad times. Making music is just one of my favourite stems and just getting excited and imagining th- scenarios in my head with music and just everything about it is great. And every time I interview a, a musician for the my podcast, it's great to hear their perspectives as an autistic musician. I mean, I talk to... Laura Marie Ruzelatin, who does the bells, and Tommy Concrete's um metal musician, um, who does like metal and um, progressive metal, and a, a kind of a mixed bag, and he has um his music with colors and stuff as well, and it's just his perspective in music is respect. It really, I really respect that, and he has made an album with a few songs about autism and about neurodiversity and about masking and things like that, and and it's just. I love it. <laughs> I recommend looking into it. <laughs> Before we finish up, any other comments? There's one thing actually that we didn't go too much into regarding my content. And it's something that most people have brought up that I actually do not swear in any of my media. Oh, and yeah, that, you don't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't. Even though I do swear in real life, I do cuss a lot in real life. Um, but I intentionally choose not to swear on any of my media and if i and i always promote like on the podcast hey you can swear as much as you want you know but like you know i'm it's it's up to you like i'm i'm not going to judge i'm just going to be me but i intentionally do not swear and that's for a very good reason number one obviously for potential sponsorships it really helps when your podcast doesn't swear of course you don't have a lot of explicit episodes um number two uh i'm i'm an uncle and so I want to set a positive um, example to my nieces and my nephews. I have um, five nieces and nephews. The oldest is 13. 
the youngest will probably turn two in a few months. So I, I've always said, listen, one of these days, even if they're very young, they're probably going to listen to the show and to, to learn about things because obviously, you know, I'm their uncle and they may have heard about it through probably their parents or whatever it may be. Oh, it could be even a, a classmate who said, oh, by the way, you know, this guy who, who does these podcasts about so-and-so and yeah, I just, I, I want to set a positive example and a positive role model. Unfortunately, all the, sw- there's so much swearing in media, like F this and son of a B word and, and so on and so forth. And it's just like, what happened to the days where we could just be decent to each other and not have a swear word every other sentence? The only person who's allowed to do that is Roy Kent. And that's it. That's the only person allowed to do that amount of swearing. Yeah, that's a, in case no one caught it, that's a Ted Lasso reference. And I love Ted Lasso. I think it's one of the best shows on Apple TV Plus and one of the best shows on TV right now. But the reason why I don't swear is for those two reasons. And plus, honestly, I don't really need to do it. Like uh, the only time I'll ever swear is if I if I have a point to make and I don't have any other words. For example, so for example, um, everyone loves Michael Jackson. Everyone knows Michael Jackson. Did you know he's only sworn one time in one song? Only <laughs> once in one lyric, and it's in "Scream" with uh, with Janet Jackson. Is stop pressuring me, stop pressuring me, stop effing with me. You know, and they do explode it in the clean version but you actually hear michael and janet actually sing it and that stood out to me because the whole song itself is about the paparazzis about the media basically destroying lives and it's sort of like oh my god you can really feel the anger and the tension because you don't hear michael jackson swearing on anything else so if you save it and you don't do it when you actually do it People are going to sit up and pay attention. Honestly, it's not necessary. That's why I don't do it. And, you know, and if I ever feel the need to do it, it's going to be for a very good reason. I'm not, I'm going to save the cursing for when I need it. It's not a recreational thing. It's a, it's my nuclear option, you know? Uh, that makes sense. And I do respect that. Um, and, and, and everything that you said, and as you say, swearing is everywhere. I mean, back in the day, it was like really limited only to adult stuff. And now it's like, it's everywhere. For me, I I limit my swearing. Um, sometimes keep the mild ones, um, unless it's an explicit episode. And there's, I can, um, one of my recent, my, re- my recent episode that just came out has a lot more swearing. Um, but there's some words I will always remove because of how strong they are. And the only time I do keep swearing in is my live streams because I know that I'm going to slip out. But I always, anything that does have swearing, I'll always have put a warning in it. But swearing all the time in podcasts and stuff, it can seem tacky. And as you say, like reputation and stuff and family members, it can just seem unprofessional. That's why I try to be careful. Um, That's why I only have certain places to have swearing. But when it comes to my blogs and my posts and that, I... I do slip up and text. Other times I censor it, but I do. But as you say, sometimes if you reach a certain point, it, when I see something that makes me emotional or mad, I use the swearing to emphasize how bad it is. So yeah, yeah it just depends. And, and I just want—I just want to apologize also to the Christians who may be listening because the worst curse I could probably use for them is Jesus. And I same. use Jesus a lot. I'm the yeah. same. <laughs> but, but to me, I was raised in an a religious household. And so Jesus and damn, were not really curse words. They were just sort of like, 
their exclamations like, oh, Jesus, or damn, that was just terrible. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I, and, and I use those a lot and I've probably used them many times on episodes. So for the Christians, I'm sorry. But in terms of worst curse words, I mean, there was a time where four or five years old, I literally got in trouble and I'm pretty sure anyone else who was four or five got also got in trouble for saying shut up and for a while shut up was the worst yeah. curse word you could for, use i idiot was a bad yeah. one as well <laughs> yeah and now, and now four or five four four or five years old use the f word that's the that's hilarious right at one point for four or five it was the worst curse word was idiot or shut up now the worst curse word they use is the is the f word or they go like hard imagine what cursing is going to be like in 30 years for kids i swear it is just it's terrifying a little bit and i really <laughs> think that the media should have a little bit of responsibility i now sound like uh mary whitehouse right now and i apologize but this is just this is just me i think that we need to sort of curtail it i'm all for free speech but at the same time these are kids like the minimum age you should be allowed to swear and actually mean it is 13. That's the minimum age. That's, it should be like, you know, we have a minimum age for drinking. We have a minimum age for driving. We have a minimum age for weed. There should be a minimum age for cursing. I'm sorry. There should be a minimum age, you know? Yeah, I totally understand that. <laughs> uh, it's funny because when I do my autistic delicatessen podcast and that, um, I so try and tone down my swearing uh, but Larnell does not swear <laughs> Larnell's not a swearer and it's I respect that because I used to be like that till I was like 16 I think I mean when I was a kid I did say words I thought were swear that swear they weren't swears and then there were swears I'm like oh, don't tell anyone kind of thing but I never swore besides that and when I was like 16 and that I was just like screw it I just want to say some words and yeah and I became more Scottish with my language. Um, Ooh, very, fr very fruity, very <laughs> fruity then with the swearing. Yeah, yeah I'm a lot worse um, in real life. I, I, I Especially when I'm annoyed. Um, <laughs> where can we find you on uh, social media and your website and such? Do you want to do the entire podcast outro if you want me to? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Armand Olia hijacking the Oddish podcast to let to remind you that the Oddcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. Subscribe, turn notifications on, not just for Oddish, but also for the Oddcast. Drop a five-star review for both shows, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the Oddcast on Instagram at the Odd community. That's at the AET community. You can also go to our website, www.theatcommunity.com. You'll find a lot of articles from our contributing writers and a little exclusive here for the show on April 1st at nine Pacific time. It'll probably be already over by this point, but I'm going to say it anyway. There will be a 48 hour opening of the store. So you can actually purchase merchandise for 48 hours from April 1st at 9 p.m. Pacific time to April 3rd at 9 p.m. Pacific time. So for exactly 48 hours. You can also listen to the podcast, believe it or not, on the website. All you gotta do is literally just click the, uh, the podcast button at the top or just click podcast. I don't know what, what it is up there anymore, but you click that and you can actually listen to all the episodes there. Yeah. You can follow it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the AT community, the op community. And then you can follow me on those platforms as well at Armon Olia, at A-R-M-O-N-O-W-L-I-A. I'm Armon Olia. 
This has been kind of the oddcast, but more specifically oddish. Let's continue to move the needle. I will see you next time. Oh, wait, we're not done yet? Okay, never mind. <laughs> got, got a little momentum there. You know what? When, when you do this as much as I do, it's just sort of like, okay, like, but go to hyperspeed. <laughs> no worries. It's, it's always good to have a spiel because I do have something to say. I, I mean, literally, I put that in a script and I will flub it up a lot. Like, what you hear is sort of the result of like three takes. So I have to make sure that I get it exactly right. And so you literally heard me on one take, but you can hear how good I am on one take, you know, but I'm really focused and I can really, and I'm, I don't even have a script on me. That's the most important thing. I did this literally all from the top of my head. That's awesome. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm on. Um, it's uh, been great having you here on the Autish Podcast. It's just great to be chatting with you, talking about the, everything's community, especially with the art community. It's just, it's been great. And it's an honor to be here, Lonnie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Autish Podcast. If you like more accessibility, the transcripts are provided at autish.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for future episodes. This is the last episode of the season, so I hope you enjoyed it. Expect to see more later on this year. This is Onikagi from Autish, signing out.